All right, here we are, back for another one, episode 53, Sports Like MD's podcast. I have a question for you. Have you ever been bullied or saw someone bully someone else? Or maybe you were a bully. Chances are you can answer yes to one of those questions, and that's what today's podcast is all about. It's all about bullying. Uh, we, you can kind of see this one as an extension of episode 10, Mental Health for Young Athletes. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about bullying, which happens in childhood, but it also happens in adulthood, and we'll touch on that as well. And surprisingly to some, we're actually going to put as much emphasis on how to help bullies as well as helping the victims, because both of them need our support. Both of them need, at times, social, emotional, and mental health treatments. So we're a podcast, we're a community, we're providers, Dr. Hose and I, and the inspiring and aspiring psychologist Ben is as well, individuals who are looking at trying to rehabilitate, help these individuals out in order to allow them to become better people instead of punishing someone and canceling them and locking them away. So we're going to put a lot of emphasis on that and how to exactly do that. And this was all kind of triggered by the recent news with the NHL draft and the, and the Arizona Coyotes. And on a completely different note, we're going to um, start off this podcast talking about some major news in Major League Baseball. A glass ceiling was broken. So let's go ahead and get into it. Oh, wait, and don't forget to check out sportspsychmds.com. We got a bunch of resources up there. We're putting something new up there every week. Sign up for our newsletter if you'd like, but there's... There's tons of stuff on there, so go check it out. Um, enjoy the episode. Thank you. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to episode 53 of Sports Like MDs. What's going on, y'all? We're here with Dr. Armin Hose, Dr. Tori Trogio. What's up? Benjamin Vogel. How you guys doing? What's going on? So, last Friday, big news. Last Friday, the Miami Marlins hired Kim Ng as the general manager for the Miami Marlins. And why is this big news? Out of the four professional sports leagues, so that's MLB, NBA, NHL, NFL, Kim Ng is the first female and Asian American GM in all those four leagues. Oh, yeah, dude. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. So if you guys remember back to episode 36 of Sports Like MDs with the girl at the game, our guest, Gabrielle Starr, gave us a little insight into really the obstacles and challenges females are faced with in the sports industry. And just simply put, sports are not constructed in a way to make life easy for a female, whether it's the player, coach, GM, reporter. It's, there, there, there are a lot of hurdles and challenges. So it's, it's very reassuring to see another female breaking barriers and setting and paving a smoother road for, for females in the future. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. She's been in the game for over 30 years. So it's about time breaking the glass ceiling. She's been in the game. Yeah, Well-deserved. Listen to this statistic. She's been in the game for 30 years. She had to work longer in major league baseball. than Theo Epstein had to live on earth to get hired as a GM. Yeah. Angus Ing started with the White Sox in, nine, in 1990. She worked for 30 years, and she worked with the Yankees for four years, where they went, they went to the World Series four consecutive years. They won three. And then oh, as so she, she earned her stripes. She earned her stripes, and it took Theo, took, took Theo Epstein 28 years just to just live on this earth to get hired as a GM for the Red Sox. And that's not at all a shot to Theo Epstein. 
in 2000, 2011, the LA Times wrote an article. This is nine years ago. The LA Times wrote an article calling for Ng's hiring as, um, as a GM for the Los Angeles Angels. They said that she was the perfect fit and that she, hit, she has all the qualities you could want in a GM. And that was nine years ago. So it's just, it just shows you the, the hurdles and challenges females have. And it's, it's really great to see these barriers being broken. And, you know, you think about the future, it's just great to see. That speaks to her, yeah. her mental fitness, her resilience. It does. These are her resilience for oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm happy for, honestly, the, the Miami Marlins organization. I think they made a great decision for, for their franchise. And I think that they're going to, uh, I think they're going to really benefit from this. You know, I think the organization will see tremendous success. Um, you know, anytime you, you do something that, is the best thing for the organization. You know, you make the best choice. Um, that that usually works out well. So I'm I'm okay. excited to see what happens. I'm not a GM scout, but I imagine she probably had the best resume out there of anyone. And she had connections since working with, with Don Mattingly in the past when she worked with the Dodgers, and then Derek Jeter, obviously the legend of the Yankees, who is now the CEO, I think, of the Miami Marlins, and and Mattingly is the the bench coach or the or the manager. Uh, I think man, he's a manager. That's what they call it. Yeah. Yeah. So go. Yeah. Go Marlins, man. Yeah. It's exciting. And the, Mar- the Marlins were definitely an, um, a, a, an underdog coming into the 2020 MLB season. They certainly shocked a lot of, a lot of heads, myself included. I definitely wrote them off in the beginning of the season and then they, they shocked everyone. And they made the playoffs. They, they took they, the Cubs out. They took the Cubs out. They, they actually established a lot of resilience. We're talking, we talk, we're talking resilience. They started the season I remember they started the season and they missed like 10 or 12 days days due to COVID. Like everyone got infected with COVID and they missed like two weeks straight or something like that. And I remember um, like, when, like while I was coming out, you know, COVID was just happening. We were, it was all, we were all new to this. So then MLB's released their schedule and they packed like 28, like 30 games into 28 days or something ridiculous like, like oh, that, mm-hmm. you know. And they, they had double headers after double headers. And then I remember, and then so you take that story and you fast forward to the beginning of the postseason. And I remember reading a story uh, cover, covering the Marlins and Don Manningly and the players were talking that like, we, we knew we needed a resilience to get through the schedule. And we just kept that in the back of our, our minds. And that's what took us through, through the success of the season. So they definitely have the right mentality and they have the right players. They have a lot of great young players. And let's see, let's see what Ng can do. We're going to get into this episode. It's primarily going to be about bullying. Um, there's a lot of news going on about that. But I wanted to mention, specifically in baseball and being a GM, that's a difficult job, especially when you're working in a, a smaller market team like the Miami Marlins are, are, despite Miami being a huge city. They're not going to spend a whole lot of money, so she's going to have to get creative. Um, so we'll, I'm interested to see what kind of uh, strategies that they use. And they're going to really have to rely on that player development because it's not like New York or Boston or Chicago or LA where they can just uh, pay the best players to come play with them. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Although Miami. That, was, so on, that wasn't a shot at the, the Yankees. It was a little shot at the Yankees. No, no. I mean, I. You, Miami's not a bad place to live, though. Like, you don't have to pull. You wouldn't have to pull my, my arm to get me to come to Miami, though. 
don't know. South Beach. I South mean, Beach. up up until up until Jeter took over the organization, it was kind of like this. Uh, it's kind of the stay away organization in MLB. It was kind of like the LA Clippers before Steve Ballmer took over. Uh, it was, oh it was yeah. Very evident. No, uh, you're right. Very evident that the organization didn't care. They weren't making any progress. Work may be tough, no. but once you get to that beach. And once you see that that white sand and people are different, you, you lay out in that beautiful Miami oh, sun. The, the beautiful hand humans. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, for sure. I just as as an athlete, I don't. You spend half the season away, away away from Miami. I'm the the one thing I'm surprising to bring up is no income taxes. That's money. That's key. Oh, that is money. That's huge. Bullying. That's what we're talking about today. Don't push me around, Tori. Even bullying me. Ever since we started this podcast. Harmon, bullying is not a topic we should make fun of. And here's why. <laughs> um, no, so... You and your transitions. <laughs> so, with the 111th overall pick in the 2020 National Hockey League draft, the Arizona Coyotes selected Mitchell Miller. Following that draft pick, news reports flooded what of social media, television outlets, and everything. Apparently, Miller was a big bully in high school. Specifically, one student, Isaiah Meyer Crothers, who is, who, who is a black, this, uh, developmentally disabled student. Now, Myers, I'm not going to get too much into detail. If you're that interested, you can look up online, but that, this is not the place for that. My, Miller really took advantage of this kid and did some really horrendous things to him and really stunted his developmental growth as a child. And his mother would, his mother, rightfully so, came out to the news reporters and said, I can't believe a professional team is encouraging this type of values and encouraging this type of personality. So after some thought, I don't know how long it took, after some thought, the Arizona Coyotes said, you know what, you're right. And they renounced his rights. So he's no longer affiliated with the Coyotes. Now, as we all know, bullying has some serious short and long-term consequences on a child's social and overall development. Do you want to jump into that right away? Because we're going to get into all that. I wanted to touch on this specific incident a little bit because I have some mixed feelings about this incident with, with the Coyotes. Obviously, what um, this draft pick did is horrible. Bullying is horrible. We're going to get in all, into all the reasons why bullying is horrible, not only for the victim, surprisingly, but also for the, for the bully because it perpetuates this, this very negative interaction, social interaction. It's interesting, though, that we live in a world where the Coyotes made the, the draft pick, in the first, but then there was backlash, and then they renounced the rights. So why did they draft this individual in the first place? And from what I've read is they had all the information there. So really, at the end of the day, they renounced the rights basically because of pressure from maybe media and from society. And at the day, maybe they did make the right decision because what this individual did was horrible. Granted, it was something that was done, I guess, many, many years ago, but it was something that it was serious enough where he had to get tried in juvenile court. So I think it's just, uh, there's multiple kind of variables with regards to this. At the end of the day, I believe individuals can make mistakes and and move on and grow from their mistakes, but certain mistakes are, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to, to move on from. So I hope the individual that was bullied is, is getting the proper 
treatment now and never has, has to suffer through that again. And, and in the same light, I hope the individual who did the bullying can grow from this and can prove that he has grown and won't do anything as despicable as what he did in the past. And ideally can get another shot to play in the NHL. Mm-hmm. If the Coyotes did their due diligence and maybe they thought that this individual's grown from that, has atoned from that, they probably should have just stuck to their guns and didn't renounce his rights. I think, I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack here, but if they, if they released him because of the media pressure, then they released him for the wrong reasons, you know? And they could have taken that opportunity to take him under their wing and say, you know what, we're, we're going we're gonna to suspend him for a year and, and enroll him in, you know, in like an anti-bullying course or something along those lines. And we're going to make sure he takes the right steps to, be, to bettering himself. Or if they just didn't draft him and said straight up, we're not drafting this guy because yeah. of his bullying tendencies. But, you know, they drafted him in. You know, in 2020, you can get a lot. You, you, you can pretty much find out anything you want to find out with the internet we have. So they probably knew. Maybe it's not the full extent, but they probably had an idea of what type of person Mitchell Miller is when they drafted him. And they clearly were okay with that. And you can interpret that however you, however you want it. I personally don't like that they released him because of the social media pressure. You know, they should have released him for – they should have just stuck to their guts and said, we're not going to draft him because of bullying or we drafted him and we're going to make it right on ourselves. Yeah, because ultimately you want a sports organization not only to be there to to use these players to win championships, but you, you want to be able to be drafting these kids. What was he, what, 19 or really young right out of high school or college? And you want to be able to help these men, women grow to become – or these boys and girls grow to become men and women. And you want to be able to help them learn what's right and what's wrong and, and have a culture, for instance, that – where bowling is not tolerated, where it's a, a culture of kindness, and we'll get into that later, and not necessarily just write someone off. We've seen this time and time again in the NFL and the NBA where there's individuals that, that have a, a dark past and have made mistakes, and they come into the league and they, they grow and they become, they flourish, not only as players, but individuals. So um, I think this individual will probably get a second chance and ideally if he's done all the right things and rightfully so we'll have the opportunity to grow with an organization that will support him and and to build off that one common thing we talk about on this podcast is is for for children the importance of sports and uh you know the things you learn and the values values that come with it and clearly miller didn't pick up the right values playing 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 hockey in middle and high school but you know sports and like just that team aspect provides a lot of good opportunities for people to grow so hopefully he does get the right chance that being said hopefully he he earns that chance and he really takes those steps that that are needed to become the right person to set up on the ring because overall he's this is this that's the gm's job you got to be able to select the right players that fit your culture so maybe obviously probably not a good fit for the culture right now um and down in arizona no so Ben brought that story to light, and this is why we wanted to do a podcast specifically on bullying, because it can be extremely, extremely impactful to, to a child's development, like Ben said, and also can impact adults as well. None, none of us are immune to bullying or hazing, um, and we're going to get a, into all of that to, on today's episode. All right. So let's just get into it. Let's get into bullying. So bullying, 
me being a child and psychiatrist, it's close to my heart, but I know it's close to Benjamin's and Dr. Hose's as well. Sure. Um, but it's a serious threat to our youth today. And according to the CDC, hopefully that's not too triggering for some of our listeners. Um, bullying affects 20% of high school students. And guess what? Cyberbullying affects 16% of high school students. Um, there's been several surveys out there. Essentially, physical bullying occurs in probably one in three students is what they found in cyberbullying in about one in four students. Wow. And some estimates say up to 50% of students or adolescents are, are bullied online. And I would say that's probably even higher. Um, and it's definitely on the rise and partially. Yeah, it's on the rise, on the man. Rise Look at these numbers. I mean, it's basically almost, I mean, they're, they're almost neck and neck at this point. And it's crazy. I mean, let me just say that cyberbullying, for those of our listeners that aren't completely familiar with what that means, it's like you can imagine that nowadays with pretty much, pretty much every kid having social media, right, either Facebook, Instagram, you know, Twitter. Um, TikTok. TikTok's a big one now. YouTube, you know, these different. Snapchat. All of these platforms are platforms of communication they have their own little networks their own circles of friends their own little communities online and within these spaces are their real life friends in addition to people that may not necessarily know or, or be geographically connected to but the real life friends are often in these spaces and so what they do in these spaces what happens in these spaces will follow them and so what we've seen is that issues and confrontations that may start in real life will continue or persist online in virtual spaces, i.e. cyber, the cyber world, you know, these cyber communities. And inside those communities, you can have like vicious verbal attacks and threats happening. And it can become, you know, threatening to the point of, you know, feeling like, you know, you, you could, there could be a real, real threat in real life yeah and i think armin and i, I don't, ben you're a little younger than us but we didn't have to worry about this we had to worry about the schoolyard bully on the playground but once yep. we got home we were safe and if we yep. if had a stable home and we didn't have to worry about going onto our instagram feed or twitter feed and, and seeing people saying disparaging comments about them. not at all man not at all like literally to get to me when I was 10 years old, you had to either have my home landline phone number or send me a letter or show up at my, do at my door. Yeah. Those were the only three ways that there could be any form of communication coming my way. Mm -hmm. And all of those forms of communication, here's the, the, big, the bigger part of this, were guarded by other people. Right. So I can't just get a letter in the mail without an adult seeing the mail first. Right. I can't, no one's going to show up at the door with me answering the door first when I'm 10 years old. You know, I'm not going to do that when I'm 10 years old unless I'm home alone, which never happened when I'm 10 years old. Right. And no one's going to, going to allow me to just answer the phone on a landline in my home at 10 years old. An adult is always going to be the first one to do that. And, and so literally there was no way to get to me, you know, yeah. like it was a lot, it was very protective. So there's no escape now. Like these kids are on their phones all throughout school. They're on their phones when they get home. And I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand work in the adolescent psychiatric emergency room. Kids are coming in constantly 
And what happened? What caused them to cut themselves? What caused them to tell their parents they want to kill themselves? What caused them to, to try to overdose on Tylenol? A lot of times it's because of some, what someone said on Instagram or what someone did on Snapchat or kind of the more kind of underlying thing that you wouldn't necessarily consider cyberbullying. But individuals will say, yeah, I asked a friend to hang out. She said no. And then I went on Instagram and I saw on her Instagram story, she's hanging out with all these people. She lied to me. So there's all these different factors in the cyber world that you can't really get away from. And it's our job as mental health providers to kind of be aware of that. And it's just constant. Yeah. I mean, not just be aware of it, man, but to really like fully lean in to what's happening there so that we have our ear to the streets and that we can really, uh, um, I think, bring that into the treatment room, you know, the, uh, the office mm-hmm. when we're with our clients or with our patients. Because, um, you know, kids, especially like this age, uh, it's a very vulnerable stage. You're still trying to figure yourself out. You're not really able to communicate on a high level, you know, in terms of really interpreting how you feel and being able to convey that and feel like you can really trust you know, that other person to really understand. So, you know, it's going to take a lot to get that information, the right information from someone that age about the bullying experience. You know, oftentimes that's, that's a tough conversation to have. And, and you have to kind of therefore know the signs, right. And be able to, to kind of like, um, tease that, I wouldn't say tease it out, (laughs) but I, I would say, no, you, you have to really, um, you know, I think create a bond and a trust and confidence with that child um, because it's a lot, it's going to be a lot of shame behind that you know, every time. Yeah, definitely. And I wanted to go on a brief tangent because there's something you mentioned, Armin, that, that I want to expand upon. You mentioned that kids are constantly trying to compare themselves to each other. That's part of natural development. That's how you figure out who you are. You try on a bunch of different hats and you find out what you're good at, what you can take confidence in. And part of that is comparing yourself to peers. When Armin and I were kids, and Ben probably even, we were comparing ourselves to our classmates and maybe our neighbors. We, didn't, we weren't comparing ourselves to everyone we saw on Instagram. These influencers, these celebrities, these people from all over yeah. the globe who are only posting their, their highlights and their best moments. So you got these kids are becoming more vulnerable. A lot of them are. And that's why anxiety disorders, depression skyrocketing, suicide skyrocketing, because they're now faced with comparing themselves to everyone's ideal self. And, and it's defeating a lot of times. What are you good at when you can go online and see someone instantly that is going to be better than you at something? Mm-hmm. So that is just makes kids more vulnerable, more on edge. And if you want to hear more about that, go check out episode 10, Mental Health for Young Athletes. We dive into the whole Eric Erickson psychosocial development. And uh, it's pretty interesting. We certainly dive in. Yes, we do. I mean, look, middle schools are reporting the highest rates of bullying. Um, And that that, that should really clue you into a lot of things that we're going to talk about here. Just that's a that's a weird age. I think everyone kind of knows that, you know, the awkward phase of their lives are typically around that kind of 10 or 11 to 13, 14 stage. Puberty. You know, and. And there's a lot happening there biochemically in terms of just transitions, transformations, um, you know, of all kinds of different hormonal pathways in preparation for adulthood. That has an impact on our emotional health, 
our emotional well-being, how we you know see ourselves, how we you know see other people, and um, what's go what goes on at home as we talk about time and time again is going to impact what's happening with those biochemical systems inside. So just as another side note, um, it's actually from a mental health perspective, it's protective for a boy to go through puberty early, right? Because I think in a lot of settings, boys that are more physically mature garner more positive attention. And obviously boys are more physically aggressive. So the more physically mature boy is gonna have a leg up in that competition. So it's actually protective from a mental health st standpoint as a, for a boy to go through puberty early. It's the opposite for a girl. A girl, once she goes through puberty, is, is twice as likely to suffer from a depressive or anxiety disorder. And, a lot and why is that? Why is that? Because she's having to compare herself to other peers, other girls that are going to look different than she looks. She's going to be the one that stands out. Um, she's not going to compare well, at least in terms of like what a normal spectrum of body types would, would it look like you know, in the same age girls, right? And that's tough. We all know most girls tend to go through puberty, that transformation sooner than boys. Hormones are obviously involved um, specifically um, with regards to puberty and changes and fluctuations in hormones can definitely impact anxiety and depression. But kind of getting back to our topic today, Armin, you were touching on that UCLA study, right? In our backyards. Mm -hmm. They did a study That's of right. 2,300 students in 11 different middle schools in LA. And they found that the people, the individuals that were being bullied actually had lower grades. It's pretty obvious to say. Um, mm -hmm. And they, they just performed significantly worse than their peers in school. And we're going to get into reasons why. So... Before we do, I also wanted to say that there's another cause of maybe an increase in bullying specifically this year and specifically cyberbullying is because of the pandemic. People are at home now mm, and oh yeah. <laughs> you're always, now you're just online all the time. You're not escaping the bullying. You're actually probably more sensitive to it. And then, and we'll get into this, the reason a lot of the individuals who are bullies are often time coming from home life and home environments that are toxic well let me let's uh, no doubt often let's break this bullied. down let's let's break this down a little bit more for our, our listeners so that they understand really you know how this all works is I, I feel like if you're not really inside these spaces inside these channels and networks it's it's probably hard to understand how a bullying scenario could even play out i think the traditional kind of gen xer and above they see you know bully bullying really through this lens of like you know, I don't know, you know, who's seen Back to the Future. Your lunch money. Back to the Future, you know, there was the Biff character, you know, that used to like, you know, uh, bully Michael J. Fox's character, kind of toss him around, slap him around. Apparently in the, you know, past, when they go back in time, um, even this guy's dad was, you know, his 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 father's bully you know in their respective high school so you know it, it's just this whole thing of like this guy who's physically imposing who's like you know doesn't like you for whatever reason it kind of slaps you around like you said takes your lunch money at school how on earth could something like this be a thing online well the thing about it is like there's uh actually a lot of different ways it can happen 
with even more regularity online. Because online, what you have is um, an ability to form groups, multiple groups of people. So just like you have at school, in your traditional classroom setting, um, you can pretty much only form a group with the kids inside that classroom at one time. You can't really form a group with multiple kids in other classrooms at the same time because physically you just you can't you can't accomplish that. You can only be in one place at one time. In the virtual space, however, on you know like I don't know various social media platforms, you can have um, really multiple spaces um, with different groups of friends that are all active at any given time of day. And um, inside these spaces, you have real interactions happening. You know, people are communicating, they're sharing their thoughts. And then what happens there then becomes um, an extension of what's happening at school or wherever it is that these people interact in real life, right? It's a direct transition. And then what's happening in real life goes back into, so it's like you're dialed into these people 24 seven, you know? And so again, whatever's happening in the real world follows you literally right through the door when you, when you walk into your, your home at night. Just think how social media is set up. There's like buttons. There's different emojis you can add. You can comment directly on posts. It's that instant feedback. So there is the reinforcers in there to communicate, not necessarily always communicate in, in, a, in a hopeful, kind way. Um, withholding likes has often been uh, described as cyberbullying at times. Well, yeah, um, I mean, it's getting a bit much um, right there. <laughs> but, you know, what, what we're talking about here is somebody can say, you know, you're stupid, you know, you're fat, you're ugly, whatever it is, and really humiliate you at school. I mean, that's, that's been happening, you know, since the beginning of time, but uh, it's contained, you know, at least for that moment, you know, to what happened in that room and those who saw it happen in that room at that time. Obviously, there's, you know, the, the, the notion that people could kind of talk about it afterwards, but still, and yet, if you weren't there, you didn't see it, it's never going to, you know, be the same impact, right? But what happens, once it gets online, it can just go, what they say, viral, right, that term? Yeah, literally. Everybody, everybody can find out uh, at the school instantaneously. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. Um, it's almost as if, like, what happened, like the school suddenly and like, you know, had like all of its walls just suddenly like disappear and everybody could see everything that's happening inside of each classroom. And then all of a sudden somebody with a bullhorn just like, you know, talking about your mama, <laughs> you know, and everybody just stops and laughs. It's happening like that online. Yeah. And when we're talking about some negative emotions that are kind of really eat you up inside, I think for a kid and for anyone, and you guys can, Tell me if you agree with me. The feelings of embarrassment and shame, nothing really kind of eats at you more than that sometimes. And and that's what Armin's talking about there. And that's why bullying can be so devastating is because when you do it 
in front of a crowd, whether at school or online now in front of everyone, that increases that feeling, those feelings of embarrassment and shame. And those are extremely difficult feelings to handle, even if you know that you are feeling embarrassed or, or ashamed. But a lot of these kids, these individuals, these high schoolers, these middle schoolers, they aren't even able to identify that feeling yet. It's, it's, it took me many years to be able to identify that oh, I feel shame right now or I feel embarrassed. So these kids that are 12, 13, they, they have this weird feeling, this negative feeling, and they don't necessarily even know what it is. And that's why at times you may see someone self-harm or act out or become aggressive. Right. I'm, I'm, and sure, I'm sure that that uncertainty feeling and like you feel you, you're feeling a certain emotion that you can't really pinpoint or identify. I mean, to me, that screams anxiety. I, I, I feel like anxiety from, from what I've re- learned in school, anxiety is just you, you feel something and you don't know what the source is. So I can't, I can't imagine, you know, I, I can't remember back to, you know, like when I was five or six years old, but I can't imagine just feeling, feeling what I know now is shame and embarrassment but not knowing if that's what that feeling is. And then you're just like overwhelmed with this confusion of emotions and it's, I mean, shame and embarrassment are so powerful. And then you're just like super confused and whatnot. And you can, I'm, I'm sure like you just act out in so many various ways because you don't even know how, you don't even know what you're trying to cure. You're just trying to cure something. No doubt. So, so check out this, this, uh, this longitudinal study that happened uh, in Norway. So a group of scientists investigated the long-term psychological effects of bullying on adolescents. And um, the results of this study indicated that all groups involved in bullying during adolescence, or for all of these groups, uh, bullies uh, and victims experienced adverse mental health outcomes in adulthood, both bullies and victims. And, you know, with this really demonstrates is that we're supposed to feel empathetic for the bullies. Well, what it demonstrates is that it's, it's, it's a problem that is, you know, only has losers, you know, no winners, there's no winners in bullying. It's only degrees of loss. And there's a famous, famous quote in the movie uh, called war of the roses um, with uh, where Danny DeVito is legend uh, speaking to Michael Douglas's character about, you know, the, the problem with divorce. Um, He said, there's no winners in divorce. It's just degrees of loss. And that's kind of what it is with bullying. Like, you know, uh, we actually have evidence that suggests that bullies themselves actually do very poorly. They have very, very poor outcomes. Um, This behaviors typically persist. Uh, And so, you know, while, yeah, you do uh, maybe have the outliers that will, you know, eventually go on to become uh, you know, political leaders. We, uh, I would say, ninety-nine percent of the people that fall into this category have, you know, very poor school performance. They typically are suspended many times, so they miss a lot of school. Increased truancy, difficulty maintaining relationships generally. No one really likes to hang out with a bully. Like people fear them, so they will entertain them. You know, they'll kind of pretend in their company you know, to kind of go along with them, placate them. Right. But in reality, behind their back, you know, they don't, no one has love for the, for the bully. Um, and they're not going to have their backs, you know, when push comes to shove. And I think the bullies ultimately know that. So therefore, they have increased risk of substance abuse. Uh, it's kind of a rampant 
issue that, you know, unfortunately affects people that have to harbor a lot of guilt, you know, for, uh, you know, for wrongs and atrocities they may have committed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wanted to comment on something Ben Benjamin was saying about you feel that shame and embarrassment, you don't know what it is. And then that creates anxiety on top of the shame and embarrassment. And then what do you do that? And that is what causes a lot of the issues. Cause then you get, you can't sleep or then you don't want to be around anyone because you're, you're trying to avoid that feeling again at all costs. So you're not, you're going to, maybe you're going to isolate and maybe that means you're not going to go to school. I've seen it time and time again, these kids don't want to go to school. And it's the, the issue becomes at the end of the day is that a lot of these kids, a long time goes by where they're being bullied, cyberbullied or bullied at school, and they don't talk to anyone about it. They don't open up to anyone about it because of that shame and embarrassment. They avoid anything that reminds them. It's almost like a trauma. They avoid anything that reminds them of that trauma, of that feeling, because sure. they want to avoid that feeling of shame and embarrassment. We all would um, when we don't know what's, what it is. So it just- Would you say that gets repressed? Absolutely. And then it, it, it gets repressed to the point where it's going to affect you subconsciously to the point where it's going to lead to all these factors down the road where it can lead to chronic depression, increased suicidal thoughts, suicide attempts, substance abuse, difficulty establishing trusting relationships and, and yeah. so on and so forth. I mean, with, with a, okay. With bullies, a person that is a bully this uh, feels like one of these things, you have to correct me uh, if I'm wrong, Tori, but it feels like one of these things where you're more likely to be a bully if you experience bullying yourself. 100%. Right? And, and so I, I see a lot of the, these people basically bringing things from maybe out of their home situation uh, into the school environment, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Into their, their social environments. Um, because maybe they're, they feel like victims at home or they, they have been victimized at home. Yep. And, and that's another reason bullying, why it's on their eyes. And ultimately they're, they're sort of almost like displacing, you know, that, that stress and that, uh, trauma onto others. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's oftentimes it's behavior that's modeled from a parent or it happened to them, um, by another older bully and they, they displace it or they just think that's the way that you communicate or get your way. And that's what we mentioned earlier. It's on the rise now during the pandemic because everyone's stuck at home. And unfortunately, home for a lot of these kids isn't a safe place because there is a lot of trauma and abuse going on in the household. And everyone needs an outlet and not everyone knows what a healthy outlet is right away. So a kid that's being abused by their father may take it out on the, uh, the kid in the grade below him or the disabled kid or someone that's vulnerable because it's an easy target. You know, what's sad is that it, it, it feels to me when you really look into this bullying uh, mindset is that uh, these are, it's almost like a form of communication. You know, it, it's a sad, tragic form of communication, form of like communicating with the world. Um, but I, I do think that in many cases, bullying is crying out, you know, is acting out in order to, you know, to get attention. And, you know, one thing we understand about attention is that it can be negative or positive, you know, and for some, if not many, 
you know, some attention is better than no attention at all. Definitely. I know that the truth of that working with children. And Tor, you, you earlier, earlier, you, uh, you jokingly said like, Oh, should we, are, are we really going to be empathetic towards the bully? And I know, I know that was the joke, but the, I just want to highlight that this, like the, the importance of what we're talking about, we're really taking an objective perspective of, this, of the situation. You know, like it's so easy to like, you put, you, you make fun of the bully. Like how could, how could a bully do this? But no one wakes up and gets out of bed hating the world. That's not what happens. Something has to have provoked a bully to just throw hate towards everyone and make fun yeah. of people. No one's born a bully. No one's born a bully. That was so much better said. I mean, now you could be genetically uh, predispositioned to have antisocial traits would make, make it more likely for you to be a bully. But right. that's, a very, that's a very rare thing. I mean, you know, people like to throw that out there. There's outliers, outliers. You know, it, it's, it's a very, very rare condition. You know, you're not going to see it in, in most populations. But my, my point is that like when, when we hear about these bullying situations, as much emphasis as we need to put on the person who was bullied, we should, I, I encourage, you know, parents and teachers and educators to put equal emphasis on the bully him, him or herself because there's clearly a problem there. Absolutely. And if your solution is to suspend or, you know, when I, when I was growing up, um, a, a sixth grader in my middle school, was expelled for bullying. He didn't. He didn't even have a. He didn't, he didn't have a case. Like there was. There was a situation where he bullied someone. Within 24 hours, he was. He was expelled. And I mean, I don't think that's a constructive approach to a bully. Like there. There are problems that we are talking about, and we'll continue talking about them. But you need to place equal emphasis on understanding why this bully is behaving the way he or she is, and what can you do to help this person. Which is where healthcare providers step in. You know, I mean, we have to be a part of the process the assessment, the analysis, and the, you know, the treatment plan. Because you have to look at bullying as more than just a behavior. Mm-hmm. So at one time, they used, to, they used to, they, as in whatever they is, you know, the society, you know, at large, I guess, um, used to look at substance abuse and dependency as a behavior, you know, a maladaptive behavior. And so it was therefore heavily crim- criminalized. What we've been able to do with the healthcare, uh, the medical community in particular, the leadership of the medical community is bring the healthcare system uh, to a place where we recognize and therefore the social and political spectrum recognize substance abuse and dependence as a health condition, uh, a medical illness even. Um, and therefore we've changed and reshaped the narrative around that type of problem. We've seen with this current opioid crisis, how it's been much more of a public health addressed issue rather than a law enforcement addressed issue, contrary to, you know, for example, the crack epidemic of the 80s. And so with, you know, bringing, I think, bullying to light, uh, not just as an issue that needs attention, but also an issue that needs uh, the attention of the healthcare system and community uh, and even medical providers, I think it can reshape the narrative around that as well. Yeah. I, I can't agree more with both of you guys. We need to put as much emphasis on, on helping the victim of bullying in, in addition to helping the bully because they're both suffering, like you said. And the studies are out there. Most bullies were bullied before. Some bullies come from unsafe home environments. Some have suffered trauma. A lot of them lack, just lack emotional skills, lack, have deficits in their ability to empathize. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of individuals nowadays that lack that ability, but 
this is something that, like you said, Ben, punishing them, suspending them, kicking them out of school, that's not, that's not going to solve the issue. That's not going to solve the problem. Yes, it's going to be mean. Yeah, maybe there's going to be, a, it's going to be safer for the victim because the bully's no longer there. You'll take away the problem. Exactly. But that environment that created the bully is still there. So who's to say it's not going to happen again with another individual? So I don't know if you got, do you guys want to jump in on yeah. how we can help no, you're right. with this? Like how can, yeah. and there's multiple different factors here. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, you might, that was a great segue actually, because this is what it's all about. I mean, we, in order to embrace uh, this, in order for, uh, I think the public at large to, to see this as, a, a health care issue, a mental health therapy issue. I think we have to have dedicated, defined solutions that are tangible, that make sense, right? Because, you know, first thing I think about is, well, if it's a bully, I mean, maybe it's just a bad apple. Like, maybe there's just a person that, you know, I mean, yeah, sure, you give them some therapy or whatever, but, I mean, what is that going to change anything if they're just a bad seed? So my first, the first thing I wanna, I wanna say to that is, um, let that be the exception to the rule in your mind. I would say that w- another way to look at this is, imagine a child of poverty who is being either assaulted at home or being abused at home sexually and or physically. We, you know, we've had podcasts in the past, we've talked about this issue. It's a very real issue. And what if, they are suffering from a major depressive disorder, right? So one of the features of major, of major depressive disorder is extreme irritability, mood swings. Um, Especially in kids and, and you adolescents. Know, you can have personality changes, absolutely personality changes that are going to be associated with that. And these are chronic issues. So it's not like one month is a good month or next month is a bad month. I mean, we're talking about just, just suffering. Yeah. Kids act out a lot more when they suffer from anxiety and depression than adults do. Yeah, they act out. You know, that's, that's a, so in other words, depression that you may have experienced as an adult or your friends or your family may have experienced and how you've seen that looks very different in a child. And so imagine this child being, you know, in the school and having a major depressive disorder and the acting out being a result of that type of behavior or excuse me, that type of condition. So that's a treatable condition. That's a very, very uh, treatable medical condition um, that can be treated with therapy um, and or with with, uh, medicines that have been shown time and time again to be extremely effective without long-term side effects. So yeah, the the first thing is you wanna be able to identify that. If there's a mental illness going on, identify that and treat that. Other things to just to just target these these relationships, if we want to call the bullying and the victim some sort of a relationship, or just let's let's zoom it out a little bit and focus on the on the culture that a school or a, a sports team creates. You want to create a culture that is anti-bully, but if you want to be anti-bully, it's all about creating culture of kindness, a culture of empathy, something that reinforces and rewards the values of empathy, compassion and acceptance because a lot of times absolutely mm-hmm. bullying can start with just an identified difference between an individual you make it i wore glasses since first grade so i got bullied called four eyes so people just pick out things that are different 
and they'll attach to that and they'll kind of tease you or bully you with regards to that. So that creating this understanding of empathy and, and understanding that's okay to be different. Let's celebrate these differences. Then that's gonna, then you, then you're going to mitigate and minimize an individual. Oh, like attaching you know, themselves. That to is so, you know, what's brilliant about that. What's brilliant about that uh, as an approach is it creates a positive reinforcement strategy that actually has a way of facilitating, not just encouraging and promoting, but facilitating the right kind of behavior. Because it's interesting, right? Bullying does have its perks, okay? You know, in the sense that, um, you know, before we, we, we levied, which rightfully so, these really, uh, you know, pretty harsh, uh, in some cases, and zero tolerance policies when it, when it comes to bullying, there was still a time when unfortunately it was more acceptable. And when that happened, you're talking about situations where, you know, a person could, you know, have a, you know, a space where it'd be them and, you know, a bunch of other kids, no supervision, no adult supervision, the teachers, wherever, and maybe outside a playground, on the playground, in recess, you know, in the lunchroom, right? There's not much supervision going on there. And just, you know, just completely humiliate someone. And this was, was something that, um, you know, everyone saw, you know, unless there was, you know, a person, you know, kind of like right there supervising the situation, that's something that's gonna, gonna really stick in the mind of, you know, the, the victim in that case. And, you know, that's something that, if they're brave enough to, to tell someone and, you know, and, and seek support on, um, you know, they, they might end up, you know, be able to, to get some, you know, relief from that. But ultimately, you know, that, that could be a, a real trauma, you know, that could stay with that person. I wanted to just touch on something going back to what I was saying earlier. And I, but I actually have a good example of when, when a teacher of mine actually created a, a one of these empathetic understanding environments and it actually helped me personally. I remember specifically when I got glasses in first grade, the teacher, Mrs. Bowling, shout out to her legend. She had me go up in front of class and tell everybody, Hey, I got glasses, check them out. And you know, me performance anxiety, I was super anxious, but then she complimented me on my glasses in front of everyone. So she, she set the tone right then and there. She's like, Hey, now he has glasses. I'm going to compliment him. I'm going to show him that, even though he may, he's the only, cause I'm, that's a young kid, first grade, not a lot of people have glasses. So she wants to introduce this as, the tone. as something that's normal and I love that. actually is cool. So she actually set the tone. Now I don't actually remember getting bullied for that. I remember that specifically um, because I had performance anxiety, but I don't remember getting bullied for having glasses when I was in first grade. So that is a specific example of it's got to start from the top um, coaches, teachers, presidents, you got to foster an empathetic and understanding environment. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. You have to foster the positive because, you know, there's the other situation where, you know, a, um, you know, a kid gets, you know, gratified for, you know, making fun of someone, you know, the whole class laughs. I mean, you know, that's going to really be kind of motivating, you know, particularly for someone that's not used to getting attention in a positive way otherwise. Right. Um, you know, they're at home and it's mostly negative attention they're getting from their family members. But at school, they can tease someone and get, you know, 
you know, a quote unquote positive reinforcement from that, which is really negative reinforcement. You know, it's, it's reinforcement of behavior that, you know, you, you know, shouldn't be there. Um, but like I said before, I mean, some attention is better than no attention at all. Yeah. And that's you hit the, the nail on the head. It's all about reinforcement because kids, kids and adolescents respond better. And we talked about this in past episodes to reinforcement rewards essentially versus punishment. So if you're going to, especially adolescents, kids maybe respond more to punishment, but if you're going focus your attention on rewarding positive empathetic behavior, and that's what my teacher did. That's what Armin's talking about. When someone, we should be celebrating when a kid gives someone a compliment or helps a kid up if he falls over instead of laughing when someone trips and falls. So that's, that, that needs yeah. to be the tone set. It's finding the good. Yeah, and almost like, yeah, finding the good, actually, Ben. That's great. And rewarding the good. Finding the good, identifying it and then rewarding it that's the key it has to have happened both ways because it's one thing to acknowledge the good just like for example the class would acknowledge the bad behavior whenever the bully would do something that was harmful to the the victim um that would always be acknowledged no one no one ever ignored it you know usually it was like um you know some sort of world star you know absolutely and when you when you acknowledge it, it's going to reinforce it in some way or another. Exactly. If you reward it, it's going to reinforce it even more and with more frequency, and, you know, and all of that. So, um, I think not only identifying and acknowledging the positive behaviors, but even rewarding the positive behaviors will go a long way too. To the to the psych one hundred and one students right now, my my brother's enrolling in a psych one hundred and one winter semester. So for all the students right now. Take note of what we're talking about with uh, with punishment and reward, because uh, this will probably come up on your next quiz, next test, and this is exactly oh, yeah. applying these concepts and terms to real life examples. So let's let's get into the nitty gritty on how to, to specifically help the victims and then the bullies. Okay, yeah. Um, a lot of it has to do with social emotional learning. There's actually a whole whole framework, SEL framework that you can check out online. Um, but basically, it's going to sound extremely familiar. Um, we talked about already creating that environment, um, whether it's on your football team or, or in the classroom or in, in your government or in the cabinet or whatever you want to call it, um, or at home. But the key is, and there's whole organizations that have came up with the, this kind of framework to help with bullies and, bull and victims. The first thing is mindfulness, practicing mindfulness, Always. which is like, you know, non-judgmental awareness of our thoughts, emotions, bodily sensations, and surrounding environment. First step is always awareness. Key term being awareness. Absolutely. Awareness. Self-awareness. Yeah. It's all so about self-awareness. This is, this is what we speak of earlier when you're a victim of bullying and you feel shame and embarrassment, but you don't necessarily know what that is. It causes anxiety and it worsens tenfold. But if you're able to identify that shame and that embarrassment, then you're able to start working on it. Just like the bully. A lot of times the bully feels this anger. Maybe it's because his, he has to listen to his dad and mom fight constantly every single night, yelling and screaming. So he takes that sadness or that, that fear that he has, and he doesn't really know what it is. And he, he brings that negative energy into school, and he, and he picks on the, the younger kid. Or he goes online and he, and he says, you're ugly on someone's post. These are things that the first step is identify your thoughts, feelings, emotions, what's going on within yourself. And then you work your way to identifying 
okay, now I know myself. I can kind of figure out how other people are feeling in the moment, how the victim may be feeling. And that is how you get, that is how you create empathy. You first understand your feelings and then you can better understand the victim's feelings. And you're going to be less likely to bully someone if you know truly how, how you're going to make them feel because you felt that way before. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, self-awareness is, is the kind of the first step to just high level social awareness in general, right? Like being aware of others, um, understanding and appreciating and respecting others. And then that of course is the gateway to acceptance, you know, first accepting yourself and then being able to accept uh, others and, and the differences that come with them. Um, you know, we're, what we're talking about and we continue to talk about is confidence building. Mindfulness is a huge fundamental pillar of confidence building. And confidence building is sort of the um, magic word, magic term when it comes to resilience and mental fitness. Creating um, mental resilience, having mental resilience, as well as high level health and wellness standards, it really does start with um, self-awareness and mindfulness as the the gateway to self-awareness so that's awesome and once you establish those things then you you start to learn skills of communication because at the end of the day these emotions pile up you have to have an outlet for them so you act out you bully you do something stupid but if you're able to identify first identify those emotions and then identify communication skills to communicate your thoughts and emotions to other individuals then you're going to have the ability to not only garner empathy for yourself and garner understanding for yourself but you're also going to be able to connect with other individuals better and that's positively reinforcing communication or comms rules everything around me cream get the money dollar dollar bill y'all communication is the key to confidence and c-r-e-a-m is a little mnemonic device that we like to use for confidence building through mental fitness. And um, for us, it all starts with communication. You know, that's the C in, in, in cream. Comms. Yeah. Just, just imagine, like if I, I'm thinking back when I was like 14, 15, and if I had the ability to, to first identify my emotions, but then a ability to communicate them to other people, um, I could have been killed and I could like, you could take on leadership roles. You learn problem solving skills. Like you can just take things to the next level when you have that awareness, you have those communication abilities, you, know, and you have that confidence. And, and honestly, that in of itself, that confidence is an antidote to bullying. It's an antidote to, to bullying in all facets. Cause if you can communicate on, you know, in person, you, you can communicate online. I mean, you know, you just know how to express yourself generally, whether it's written, verbal, whatever format. Mm -hmm. And it's really about, um, being able to say what you need to say uh, in a way that really expresses your needs uh, in a way that isn't disrespectful uh, or discourteous of others' needs, but you're, you're mindfully approaching situations. You're being able to articulate how you feel and what you need 
in in, in an empathic way yeah right that's what it's about you're able to resolve that negative emotion appropriately without hurting anyone else yeah simple as that Definitely. So the the anecdote for cyberbullying is a little differently. I wanted to specifically, well, it's, it's the same at the end of the day. These skills are going to help. But cyberbullying, I think, is a little bit more difficult because, like I said, it is. you need to yeah. foster a culture of understanding and empathy. And unfortunately, on like the, the heads of Zuckerbergs and the, I don't even know the, the names of the other guys that control these Instagrams and Facebooks and Twitters, they're, they're in it just for clicks to drive traffic up to yeah. to sell more advertisements. That's all they're in it for. So they're not in it for to create more communities or to make people feel more empathetic with each other. No, definitely not. We already know that. And if you don't, then now you know. So the antidote for cyberbullying is is going to be a lot more difficult, I think, because we on, on Instagram and different places, we have these fake idols, we have these celebrities, we have the Kardashians out there, the influencers, and they're they're reinforcing these unrealistic fake beauty standards, going back to talking about teenage girls and even teenage boys you comparing yourself to everyone then you see people on there with modifications plastic surgeries of their face and they're saying no this is all natural like that is creating a toxic online environment and as silly as that sounds that that is going to prevent individuals from gaining this confidence that we're talking about and it's going to lead to more bullying because it's going to lead to more negative emotions the cyber bullying cyber bullying is tough it is it is a tougher issue and, and it does you're right and part of it's because it's kind of what we're talking about. Like a big part of communication is, is self-expression. But self-expression is more than just words. Um, it's, you know, your tone of voice. It's your facial expression, what we call the affect, you know, which expresses how you feel. And it's being able to look someone in the eyes, the mirror neurons. When you can have a conversation and, and, and really express how you feel through you know, your, your physical expression, you can have a much deeper and more meaningful conversation that way. Yeah. It's a lot easier to be a bully online that's behind your keyboard or your phone. Yeah, it is. And, and Tori, back, back to your point, it's, it's real shame about what, about what you said. It's so true about how we put, how people, especially kids compare themselves to their role models and all these like Instagram influencers and influencers and whatnot. Cause just makes you realize or makes you think imagine if everyone was using social media for the good and trying to show people like people like kids my age like look what you could be doing to better yourselves look at like these like mindfulness activities or look at how you can start saving money or start start getting jobs but it's just i mean it's interesting from like a sociology standpoint but it's ultimately really sad that we just live up to our standards and we ultimately fail because we're, we're trying to compare ourselves to unrealistic and superficial standards. So here's where we go. Here's where we go. We need to go this way. We need to have a standard um, that uh, schools and athletic programs universally abide by um, that sets a, a policy, um, a universal, essentially social policy on bullying that starts with having a zero tolerance policy, um, clear and simple language, teachers, coaches, administrators, uh, obviously students and parents alike can all understand and interpret the policy and, um, and it's something that could be ushered in quickly. I think that the consequences for violations of the policy should be clearly included in 
in this uh, this ledger. And you know, I think we already um, talked about what the consequences are. The consequences are you're going to have to go through some social emotional learning. Yeah, and you might have to uh, specifically work on the relationship with the person that you've been bullied. Maybe you do that. I agree. Maybe you get them all together. Maybe it's a, maybe it's you don't single necessarily single the whole person out, but you take the whole team. Yeah. Yes. And yes, you, definitely. You work through it as a team. Yes, absolutely. Um, and you, you try to recreate that uh, culture of kindness, that culture of empathy and understanding. The culture is the key, and therefore the narrative has to start from the beginning. And so, uh, for like an athletic program, preseason orientation around bullying and the zero tolerance policy and you know the fact that this is the consequence um, so everyone understands and um, maybe even you know have uh, students and parents sign contracts contracts saying that they respect this policy and the name of the consequences you know and this would hopefully deter a bunch of downstream litigation uh, from happening you know from for people at least trying to uh to complain that they didn't know what the policy was or you know they were informed of the consequences in advance and i want to i want to make sure we mention that i think part of the the antidote for for helping a victim of bullying or even helping a bully is we mentioned trying to find confidence create confidence in yourself we've talked about this ad nauseum sports is a great way to create confidence in yourself to really know who you are and, and once you create that confidence and you can create the, the self-awareness and the communication and the better understanding and realize you don't need a bully, but have your, have, have a kid join a, a sports team, do a team sport. we there's countless boxers, combat sport athletes who went into to MMA mixed martial arts at a young age because they were getting bullied. They were getting picked on and they wanted to develop confidence in themselves, not necessarily that, so they can learn a skill to beat someone up, um, or to even to defend themselves, but just to have the confidence and the security knowing that they could if they had to. And it's more about creating that confidence and, and also finding a community of acceptance and understanding. So I want to just emphasize the fact that joining sports and being part of sports can be a, a great treatment, if you will, for, for, for someone who's a bully or a victim of bullying. Sports is great. And as three sports advocates, um, I, I completely agree, Tori, but one thing I noticed during my time at college, um, there's so many different groups and activities people, kids can get, students can get invested in. Is I'm just going to build off that. It doesn't have to be sports. Sports is great, but really just get invested into team-oriented clubs and extracurricular activities. You know, anything that involves with working that. with a team where you yeah, learn the sure. sacrifice and compromise, where you're, it's not, you're, you're not the centerpiece, I think, I think is really important. Obviously, sports is great. Sports is great, but... Any type of team. Yeah, an athletic team is great, but... Yeah, I agree. It could be a club. It could be a lot of different things. Um, but I, I think, speaking of schools and, you know, administrations and so forth, I think that the best way to deal with issues like, like bullying, it has to be... There can't be a delay. There can't be a delay in, in the investigation or, you know, the, the sort of fact-finding part of it. Um, because I think these things have a, a way of you know, kind of taking on life of their own over, over time. And it can almost be like a telephone game. I think when you uh, just sort of like, because they're messy, these are messy situations, you know, allegiances involved, you know, social groups and relationships involved. And plus it's all happening online. If it's cyberbullying, for, for instance, and, you know, it's like hard to really gauge context, you know, tone and tenor 
in these in a, in a written format. Um, so I think you know you just want to like really get to the bottom of it very quickly, identify it, uh, and then take swift action. Because um, the, the thing is that this is a situation that really has such devastating long-term implications. Many many of many things that I think you know we we can't even really fully appreciate or account for like any sort of trauma would, like PTSD type of condition, that um, we really ha would all be in a much better place if you know, we take the necessary steps to try to just really eliminate it you know, from how our social discourse and you know, how we yeah. conduct ourselves with one another. I think I, now that you're saying that, I, I think there's a lot of parallels to bullying and the Me Too movement. I think that's something where women in the workplace were getting sexually harassed for years and years. And it was kind of like turn the other cheek. Out here in Hollywood, we had the, the Weinstein individual who mm. for years, um, that was his thing. And, well, and, and that's the thing, you know, I, I think that's exactly why this happens though, Tori. It happens because, you know, when you have this social discourse and these, you know, different social groups and the social hierarchies and orders that happen within these spaces, you can lose sight of kind of just right and wrong, you know, and, and what it, in many respects should just be black and white, you know, because there are, you know, it's like racism, uh, you know, any sort of, you know, sexual harassment, assault, discrimination, bullying, we're going to throw in there. It's, something that you really uh, can allow to just kind of persist because you ignore it as being just part of a social order. But that's the absolute wrong way to, to, to have it in. And, and therefore that's why you have to have a zero tolerance policy and very clearly defined boundaries in terms of what's appropriate and not appropriate behavior with consequences, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of individuals just think about that specific action where an individual may inappropriately touch a female coworker's lower back or behind and they think okay that's disturbing but it's a one-time incident and the grand scheme of things maybe it's that not that big of a deal i don't think individuals necessarily are aware of the kind of emotional consequences that can occur with something like that so i think just being able to understand that any of these situations that involve bullying or some sort of harassment with or without a, a power dynamic, there can be ongoing consequences other than just what happened in that moment. And we don't necessarily need to cancel someone or throw some away, although Weinstein, get them out. Good riddance. Yeah. Um, sure. But we need to really look at these situations and and really get get at the the point of how okay how did the situation impact this person how did it impact how is it still impacting this individual and it, it, we can't just turn the other cheek we have to investigate i think the point is here we have to continue to investigate and look into things we can't just brush things off or turn the other cheek if an allegation happens or something goes on we have yeah. to investigate and um and i think that um you know the, the great thing too about having a process, uh, an established process for how to deal with this, a reliable process um, that takes swift action is, 
I think this is the type of, of way to get people fully behind a cause, right? When, when you have a consensus, a standard that everybody could just agree to, that's when I think you can really get people to, to get behind it. And when everyone is behind something, or most people, um, that's kind of how democracy works. It's a beautiful thing about you know, democracy is when most people in the room feel a certain way and aren't just sort of um, tolerating it, you know, or kind of as you said, you know, turning a blind eye, but instead they have a policy that empowers them to now speak out, right? And speak up, stand out to speak up, speak up to stand out, you know, the whole nine. Like that's when you really have something. And, and when the majority, the plurality uh, says, no, you know, we're not, we're, we're not accepting that. Just like with many isms, um, that, that behavior quickly, you know, gets kind of filtered out of society. Absolutely. I think, and I think it's, as we kind of close in on this topic or close out on this topic, I want to make sure to, to, to say that these victims of bullying, of harassment, you can move on past that and you could essentially accomplish anything you want to accomplish. And we have a lot of examples of athletes who are bullied when they were kids. We have a lot of examples of high level elite hall of fame goat athletes that were bullied. Drew Brees was bullied as a kid because of the birthmark on his cheek. Um, He said constantly that kids were purposely hurtful to him. And this is the guy that's going mano a mano with Tom Brady for the all time leader in touchdown passes. I think Brady just took the lead and then Breeze cracked his ribs. So Brady's now going to have a little bit of a leg up, but Chris Bosch talks about how he was bullied for being tall and skinny and for speaking proper English when he was a kid. We know him. He's a two time NBA champion, probably a hall of famer. I don't know if he already got into the hall of fame. Ronda Rousey. And that's legendary like, UFC. She broke the glass ceiling for women in the UFC. She was bullied as a kid about her weight. John Cena was bullied. Tiger Woods said he was bullied about his stutter. Michael Phelps was bullied because of his odd appearance. That same odd appearance that made him pr- probably the greatest athlete of all time, if you're just looking at gold medals. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, George St. Pierre. I can go on and on and on about these individuals that were bullied and harassed when they were younger. And they use partially use that as fuel to the fire to become successful. So, yeah, I mean, if you're dealing with bullying now uh, or have been a victim of bullying in the past, there's definitely hope there's light at the end of the tunnel for sure. Um, I would say my recommendation is don't be afraid to get help. Um, you know, there's help out there. Um, either phone call, just a phone call away, uh, a text message away, you know, for, um, for, for some websites out there. And, you know, of course, if you need to and want to see someone in the office uh, or online through like a, you know, a virtual, you know, type of video conference, then, you know, you have all those options to you. You have all those options available to you nowadays. Um, confidential, whatever you want to talk about, whatever it is, non-judgmental, people that really do care, really want to connect, really want to hear what you have to say. And 
best of all, you know, have meaningful solutions. You're not alone. One in three individuals are bullied. And chances are the person bullying you is, has also been bullied. So a simple thing to do is ask the individual that's bullying you, how are you doing today? How about that? Open up those lines of communication. That's right. It's all about communication. All about communication. It's all about communicating and communication, you know, that's the key to confidence. So with that, um, hey guys, let's end this stigma. And continue, continue the conversation. conversation.